Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Garden Church Podcast. Well, today is Father's Day, and uh, we want to celebrate dads and fathers um, in their role and in their work and in the challenges they face at um, being who they are in an incredibly challenging and complex uh, world that is yelling at us what those roles mean. Um, my response in all of these things is to just offer you up before the Lord, uh, those of you who are serving in those, in those roles and those positions, some with your own families, some with families uh, uh, that have adopted you and you them, uh, some uh, in people's lives that uh, you have no blood connection to, but whose heart has drawn you to them and theirs to you. So let's pray together for the guys who serve in those roles today. Lord, I just pray for my brothers. I pray, Lord, that your hand would rest on them for strength and encouragement, for uplift, uh, that you, O Lord, would father them, and out of your fathering of them, that they would father uh, those who look to them as fathers, whether uh, related or unrelated. Uh, I pray, Lord, that your 
life uh, would flow through them and to them and that you, Lord, would be glorified in the way then that we model and mirror and image you for those who look to us in those roles. God bless the dads today, Lord. Give them a great uh, day and a celebration of, uh, of what it means uh, to uh, represent you uh, to their kids in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is good to be back with you again and to um, focus in a little bit uh, on kind of where do we go in a way from here. This has been, as you know, a tumultuous uh, number of weeks, months, really, uh, and um, it has pressed us at, at, at all kinds of levels. And uh, the, the, the kind of the launch velocity of the horrific events in Minnesota uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, have, for the first time in my recollection, uh, maybe brought us to a place where, where that launch velocity might push us through to orbital velocity and real change in our culture, in our, in our country. Uh, and it is to that end that I'd like to, like to push a little bit uh, as, we, as we consider what, what Jesus might be, might, might be doing, might be inviting us into in this season. Um, and I'm gonna suggest to you that we'll, we'll get a, a feel for that by listening in on his prayer for us. It's kind of holy ground for me. It, it is it, with, with a certain amount of trepidation that I come to this text because it's so, um, Jesus is just, we, 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 we kind of get a glimpse at his very heart for the mission that he's about, but also for us to whom he is handing off that mission. Uh, no surprise that Jesus is not concerned um, hours before his death about himself. He is very concerned about us. And so he prays for us. And it is a part of that prayer that I want to look at uh, this morning or this, this day and invite you to consider what does it, what does it invite us into as we consider what a new normal might look like in terms of our culture, in terms of race relations, in terms of socioeconomic justice issues, all of those things. What does that look like for us now to be the people of God, not conformed to the demands of our culture, but transformed by the renewing of who we are into the likeness of Christ? So the passage of scripture we look at is uh, John chapter 17 and uh, verses 16 through 23. We're kind of dropping down right into the middle of that prayer. And he says this uh, about us, about his disciples. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And it is for their sakes that I sanctify myself, that they themselves also might be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, 
even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, in the same way that we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. It's a, it's a heavy text, and I just tell you right now, I don't know everything that's going on in this one. Uh, and what I do know kind of rocks me back on my heels a little bit. So if you have a heart <laughs> to pray uh, as you're listening, please do that, because this is, um, this is really holy ground for me uh, uh, and, and for us. Because Jesus is laying out a very ambitious agenda if you will, in his prayer. He begins with this awareness that we are not of the world. We, I'm going to include in the they for whom he is praying, we are not of the world. That means very, very simply that the world cannot, does not define our priorities, define our agendas, define our, our values. We instead are, are, are in the world, but not of it. We are in the world for a very good reason, but if we're in the world and of the world, we're useless. So he says we sanctified, are sanctified in the truth, not the truth first of what we believe, but the truth of relationship with him who is the truth. Remember, Jesus has only moments before, in response to Thomas's question, identified himself as the truth. Remember, way, truth, life, so he is suggesting, I think, it's not just a set of doctrinal checkboxes. It's not just a, a, a collection of things that we believe. Rather, it's a relationship. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship with him who is the capital T, truth. And what that means is that's, that puts us in this, in this center place of relationship with Jesus that enables us and requires us to not be completely comfortable in an either or universe, in a yes or no universe, in a this or that universe. We are people who defined by our relationship with the truth have to say both and and. There's some value in this position and there's some value in this position, but neither of them whether Republican or Democrat, right? Whether whatever political orientation or whatever place you find, neither of those are all where we can find comfort and rest. We stand in that uncomfortable, awkward, tense middle, clinging to persons who identify in both of those camps and saying, let's come together. Let's come together. We hold it together. And you'll notice that when you're clinging to two opposites, you're stretched out on a cross uh, as Jesus was. That's what happens to peacemakers. That's how peace is made. When persons are willing to intercede, to put themselves in between, that's what it means to be in relationship with the truth. 
In order to do that, that sanctification, that holiness is really critical. Remember, we've talked about this before, but holiness here is not specialness. It's usefulness. We're not of the world, even though we're in it. And so we, who are the people of God, in relationship to the truth, will inevitably, because we are in the world, be political. But we dare not be partisan. We will be engaged in the common things that unite us as people, but we can never align the kingdom with one position or the other. The kingdom is coming and all other kingdoms are going down. So we want to be in the center with Jesus in relationship with the truth. It's not just things that we believe about Jesus or things that flow out of our believing things about Jesus. It is our relationship with Jesus. The challenge comes for me when sometimes I value my version of the truth, small t, over my relationship with the truth, big T. So we're invited into that relationship. It's less about, again, being right and more about being in relationship that we're invited into. On that foundation, he goes on further and says, I don't ask on behalf of those alone, but for those who believe in me as a result of their word. Jesus is expecting, all odds aside, he's expecting the mission to be successful. He's expecting the kingdom, if you will, to grow through the life of these guys as they go out into the world. And he knows how hard it is gonna be for the newbies to find a place with the experts. For the guys who have been in the trenches from the get-go to embrace, welcome, and include the new ones who come in as a result of their witness. There is, a, he's aware of going to be an almost an inevitable hierarchalization. Is that even a word? Well, let's say it is. Uh, of, of, of how things work with the old guys exercising authority. No, he says, no, 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 no. I want them to be one in the same way, Father, as you are in me and I am in you, that they may all be in us. It's not a oneness that is generated from the top down as the newbies conform to the oldies. Instead, you'll notice what he says here, that it is a oneness that is generated in such a way that the world may believe that Jesus was sent of the Father. The parallel to the Trinity is unmistakable here. We are, we are not invited into a, a vertical oneness. We are invited into a oneness that is the perichoresis, this dance of love between Father, Son, and Spirit. We're invited to join in that, uh, which, which relativizes our position uh, to each other as part of that that incarnational reality that Jesus says is born witness to by the, by the fact of, of, of our oneness. Uh, so, so oneness is the primary means, our unity, our joining together with one another and elevating one another is the primary means by which witness is born to the incarnation. Now, this to me seems to be the strategy of this point and where 
where where Jesus is is starting to meddle here, <laughs> if if you if you will, uh, because you know how he became incarnate. Paul tells us he was equal with God. He did not consider that something he needed to cling to. He emptied himself. He divested himself of the power and privilege that was his as a result of his identity as God. He became a human being. So do you catch on what he's saying here? Our oneness is not a forced oneness. It's not an accomplished oneness uh, when those who are powerless are, 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 are conformed to the expectations of those who are powerful. It is a oneness that occurs when the powerful release their power, release their position, release their place, and join the folks at the bottom of whatever pile you want to talk about in solidarity, in identification, in joining in with them, and in then empowering and lifting and supporting and walking with them in relationship. Unity is only possible in this way, in a way that bears witness to incarnation, from the bottom up, not from the top down. This is really critical for us because those of us who are in positions of power, whatever that looks like, right, and however we acquired it is not, not particularly relevant. The issue is not how you got it. The issue is what are you going to do with it? And here, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be his disciples, guess what he did with his power? He gave it up so that he could serve us. I don't know if that hits you the way it hits me, uh, but it just floors me. Uh, because frankly, I find myself often using whatever power I've got to acquire more. Out of fear, out of insecurity, uh, out of a desire to do the right thing. That's <laughs> mm, not what he did. It's not the risk that he ran. And if our goal is to be formed to Christ-likeness, which it is, and if the incarnation is to be borne witness to in our relationships, we got to do it as he did it. We've got to release our positional power or use it, if you will, to serve those who have limited or no power. Notice that it gets even more challenging. He says in verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I've given them so that they can be one. Glory is the medium of revelation. It's how, um, how God is known. When, 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 when God shows up, it's glory that we, we see. So notice what he says here. In our unity, in our oneness, it is there that God shows up, that God is glorified that God is seen, glory becomes the, the means by which oneness is achieved, but it also becomes the glow that emanates out from that oneness. Uh, and and, and it, we join there in this mysterious wonder of the Trinity uh, and, and celebrate our participation in that. His glory, if you will, in us and our participation in that as, as this, this, this primary result of God's glory seen in, in and through Jesus. The, the echo, if you will, 
of the nature of the Trinity. Just as the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one in love, so are we to be one in love. This is an incredibly deep mystery. It is about the alignment that love enables. Jesus is so clear on this. He said it multiple times at the beginning of this uh, prayer. Guys, love one another. Why? It's not just a strategy. It's a fundamental necessity if we're going to accomplish his mission. And the one another doesn't include just my favorites, those who are like me. It includes at the end of the day, even those I would consider to be my enemy, much more those who not my enemy, but those who I have othered, those who I've isolated, those who I have blamed for isolating themselves. The role of love, if we're going to follow the incarnation of Jesus, and you'll notice that he hits it again here at the end of this, this paragraph, that the world may know that you sent me, that you loved them in the same way as you loved me. This is Jesus talking to the Father about the Father's love for him. There's no question of the white-hot intensity of the love of the Father for Jesus. And he says the Father loves us in the same way. Why? So that that love can transform us from the inside out into a white-hot glowing of glory that the world may recognize in our oneness, in our unity, in our celebration of the least of these, in our giving up our places so that we can use whatever power we have to serve those in those roles. This is how, Jesus says, the world is good, because there's no other way to explain why people with perfectly good CVs and resumes and positions of power would in their lifetime surrender those for the sake of the other. Jesus' incarnation is the only thing that makes sense of that kind of surrender. You probably have already figured out this is how God uses his power when he makes us his image. He empowers us. He doesn't overwhelm us. He releases us with capacity for our lives and without control over the outcome. And we are invited into that same imaging of God. We are invited into that same oneness of the body, this celebration then. Please notice what happens here. When we are one, we will recognize in a heartbeat that we need everybody else. Not, not just figuratively, but literally. We're only one part of the body of Christ. We're only one part of the image of God. I need my brothers and sisters at every level, every spectrum, every socioeconomics, whatever it is, I need them. Literally, I need them to be part of who God's called me to be. And they need me to show up for work and use the gifts that God has given me to connect with, to join with, to celebrate with who God has called and created them to be. This is how the mission of Jesus to save the world is going to be accomplished. I am 
frankly, so excited about what is happening in our world today. It's terrifying, it's chaotic, it's confusing. There are times when I just wanna stay in my jammies and pull the covers over my head and just hope it all goes away. No, 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 no. God is on the move doing phenomenal things in the world. I don't wanna miss, not the revolution at the top, but the solidarity and incarnation at the bottom in the imitation of Christ. The world is going to be saved, not by conforming to some artificial standard defined by the edges. The world is going to be saved by transformation of individual people joining with others into the wonder of God come down. You are, we are part of the body of Christ. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church. Well